Welcome to Friends of the Forest, episode 8. 8 is great. I'm telling you, this is going to be a good one. We're joined today by Sarah Haas. Sarah, how's it going? It's going. 8 is indeed great. We love The Last Jedi. Thanks for coming <laughs> to my TED Talk. I could already hear the toxic Twitter commenting on this episode. It hasn't even been posted yet. Um, my Twitter is at seh one Bring me all of the hate. I will block you. <laughs> yes, please let us know who to block. <laughs> I'm your host, Brad Whipple, and today's going to be a good one. If you listen to episode seven with Sarah and I, you do know that we covered Kylo Ren. Good old sad boy. Covered his journey from his fall from grace to his hopeful rise and the rise of Skywalker. And today we're going to be covering his counterpart in the sequel trilogy, Ray. Ray is amazing. Daisy Ridley's amazing. She's my favorite. And we felt it was pretty appropriate to, to do the counterpart to that previous episode. So that's what we'll be doing today. We're going to be looking at Ray through the lens of both Joseph Campbell's hero's journey and also the heroine's jersey. Uh, journey, Jersey. Oof, it's a rough one already. Took one sip of wine. It's good. Good stuff. Ray's on a sports team. Um, that's where her jersey comes from. And uh, so that's how the episode is going to be structured. We'll be, we will be splitting it into three different segments between The Force Awakens, The Rise of Skywalker, and The Last Jedi. I don't know why I went in that order. My mind is scattered right now, so we're going to get through this. <laughs> Professional podcaster, Brad Whipple. Yeah, it's happening. So that's what you can expect from this episode. That's going to be the primary talking point. But first, we're going to cover some recent news, quote unquote news, as you could call it in the slow Star Wars news cycle. There's really not too much going on besides Daisy Ridley on her private jets flying all over the place doing press tour for Ophelia, just as those actors do. And you can't be Daisy Ridley and go into an interview and not talk about Star Wars right now. I kind of feel bad for her. She's like, hey, I'm in this great movie called Ophelia. And they're like, let's talk about Star Wars. She's like, shit. That's literally (laughs) going to happen to her the rest of her life. I'm (laughs) incredibly certain about that. Yeah. So they're making a new Star Wars movie. It's 2028. And she's like, yeah, I'm not in it. I haven't been in the last two. (laughs) Yeah, hope it's great. Yeah, she... It's going to follow her forever, for good and for bad. Mostly, yeah. I think, for good, obviously. And and, and it's, just, it's just funny how when you join Star Wars, it latches on you and never lets go. And I think that's what she's starting to feel, especially with the trilogy ending. Indeed. So the first story I want to cover, quote from her, uh, is... Well, I want to get a few things out of the bag. These are things we're not going to be going into. Uh, Daisy Ridley confirming she won't be in the new trilogy. That's not news. That is just <laughs> a speculation somebody made up, which is not, it's not news. It's just her addressing something. That was not news to anybody. She's, I don't think she was ever going to be in the new movies. I don't know how credible the site that started that is. Well, she said um, it. She was like, somebody asked her, and it's like, oh, are you in mm-hmm. the next. And she's like, oh, Ryan Johnson's thing? No. And they're like, oh, the, the D&D guys. Or, yeah, D&D, what the? <laughs> B&W, Dan, I don't Dan and Dave? I guess D&D. Um, mm. Yeah, their thing. She's like, oh, no. So, I mean, she she said it, Yeah. essentially. 
I know it had started on one site where they were like, we're hearing from insiders at Star Wars that Daisy Ridley's being tapped to join the new trilogy. I think that's oh, where I heard it from. Boo. Let's be real. Yeah. If it's not if it's not uh, Star Wars Newsnet or making Star Wars or even Fanthatrex, is it valid? Probs not. Yeah, and I didn't even bother looking up the publication because from what I've heard, they're not to be trusted. So it was probably we, we got this covered and they're trash. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Don't this is a call their out. Name. <laughs> it's a call out. They're At trash. Them. Um, so we're not going to be covering that. Uh, I will say we're not going to be covering this whole quote that she had about everybody th- having their own opinion, the last Jedi and, you know, a bunch of different headlines spinning it to saying like, Oh, it's fair that Daisy Ridley thinks fans hate the last Jedi. That's not what she said. Um, so we're not gonna be covering that. And, uh, <laughs> even though we're talking about it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, one quote that she did say was at the end of the film, you do know what the dealio is regarding <laughs> Ray's parentage, which I think is funny that she uses the word dealio. <laughs> <laughs> That's, first of all, such a daisy thing to say. And second of all, yeah. I want that conversation to die a fiery, painful death. Yes. And we're not going to go into that either. I felt it's worth addressing, but it's not worth talking about because I've we said, don't. I've said my thoughts on it. <laughs> there it yes, is. So we're good. Uh, so let's get into the actual meat of this press tour that she's taking. So on Good Morning America, she had mentioned that she gave a final speech on the day of when she wrapped her final scenes. However, she can't say now what she said then. So, and then she mentioned like a sly comment after that saying like, you know, I can't wait to see it on film, referencing the speech. So this pretty much to me confirms... We're going to get some pretty emotional, gut-wrenching behind-the-scenes footage on the Rise of Skywalker DVD when it comes out. At least, like, I feel like we're going to get some footage of, like, all the different actors, like, giving their final goodbyes and everything. And I don't know if I'm ready for that. (laughs) How do you feel about this? Because I I know that I'm not going to be able to to contain the tears. It's probably going to be, like, me with a box of tissues. (laughs) Ugly crying for days. Yeah. I mean... I can like barely emotionally handle the fact that there's the Disney essence event in New Orleans right now. And mm-hmm. they put all the rise of Skywalker costumes on display. And I was like tearing up at the fact that they were all like being displayed for the public. I have, I have no ability to not cry. Like I cry at everything. So this will be definitely something if we get these sort of goodbye speeches or anything, talking about the end of the saga from now until the end of time, I'll probably just ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always love behind the scenes footage. That's the first thing I watch whenever I get a new star Wars movie. And it's something I feel like I can always revisit. Weren't you, didn't you recently say you had just watched the last Jedi, like hour long feature, right? Was that you on Twitter? who had Yeah. Mentioned that? Yeah. I just watched the director and the Jedi for the first time. Yeah. Um, fairly recently. And that was, an emotional journey for me. Yeah, I, right? I really do love The Last Jedi, and I just hadn't gotten to that documentary, but there was so much there that I just think was very meaningful. And I love Ryan Johnson. There's no hiding that. At one point, my Twitter name was Sarah Ryan Johnson Haas. So, um, <laughs> you know. Um, but seeing how that movie got all put together and the challenges that 
like Ryan had writing it and, and thinking about and conceptualizing the story alongside how the actors responded to it and putting their best performance, you know, into that movie. Yeah. Big emotions for Sarah. We yeah. got through it, but it was good stuff. And then Daisy went on to say, there are so many references to the nine films, but also exists in its own thing. I think people are going to be v- going to feel very satisfied. So this again, to me says we're getting a lot of fun fan service fan service. I think it's a bad rep. It's a fun thing. It's not a bad word to say. Fan service is good if it serves the story and even it's still fun if it doesn't serve the story. I think people are very quick to, you know, hate it to some extent, but you know, if it works, it works. And I think I trust JJ to drop some Easter eggs throughout the film. I'm hoping for that, uh, force ghost Hayden Christensen at some point, like given some sort of, um, meeting with Kylo to like rehab him Mm -hmm. back to the light like all of his peers are there and it's like his grandfather and he was like, I never meant any of this to happen is his uncle and his dad you get Han. So, Oh, I want all of that in one scene. Um, so are you excited about this? Her mentioning that, you know, the nine films again, it's a very strong emphasis that this all ties everything together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's so funny. She still said, she still said the word satisfied, which I'm pretty sure. Like if you print it out in eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and at the top, it's like, here's what you're allowed to say about this film. Literally the only word on that page is satisfied. Um, <laughs> so I found that kind of funny, but she does say, you know, there are references to all nine films, uh, specifically. So I think that's great. I super ready from, for some of the most, obscure and like very niche references. Um, I think I kind of want it to be like uh, Avengers Endgame was where uh, Thor, the dark world became very important in this story. Like (laughs) let's bring attack of the clones back attack of the clones. I love attack of the clones, make it important. Dang it. Um, But no, I'm really thrilled about, the idea of having all these references. I'm also looking forward to a potential Hayden Christensen slash Anakin force ghost or some sort of appearance there. Um, I also would love, love, love to see anything that has to do with Padme um, or Bail Organa, my main man. <laughs> um, so, you know, anything that brings specifically the prequels back into it um, in a meaningful way, I am super excited about. I agree. A good point on the Padme. I would love to see her involved somehow. I was going to say, let's not forget Natalie Portman because that's space mom for reals. That's like the first space mom besides Shmi. Don't My even queen. get me started on Shmi again. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Shmi. This is the Shmi fan podcast. But I would love some sort of like force vision that like Ray had in episode seven, maybe somehow integrating that with all nine films. That'd be pretty cool. Maybe from Kylo's perspective. Mm. We've gotten that from Ray's, so like maybe we can get it from Kylo's this time around. So um, that would I trust... be fascinating. Oh my gosh! Now I'm thinking yeah. of that and thinking about how um, I mean, because he has the Skywalker blood in him to think to think about bringing him back to like think about Kylo and Naboo. That's it. That's mm-hmm. that's the whole thought. Just putting such an angry boy in such a serene place and yeah. asking him to th- consider the past instead of letting it die okay yeah. that's it i'm gonna go cry i'd now. almost i'd almost even love him to like touch some sort of object exactly like ray did and that's when he like finds everything or sees everything maybe when he puts his helmet back together that'd be really cool 
But mm-hmm. um, yeah, we could go on for days about this this little snippet, but um, we're going to keep moving on here, get through these, these quotes from her. Um, she did go on AM to DM last Wednesday, and she had started to talk about her social media presence, and she described it as being cut off like a Skywalker limb. So she's not coming back on social media. Uh, she said, it's not good for me personally. I'm just not equipped for it. I'm super sensitive, not too sensitive, but I really feel things. And she said, it's also great to have freedom of expression, but I do feel like people think opinions have so much weight. So she's basically just saying, you know, she's kind of done with the whole social media thing. I, for one, am very bummed she'll never be back on. I was following her Instagram page was like my daily or weekly dose of just greatness because she always posted the most fun things, whether it was her eating a cheeseburger after her intense Jedi training sessions at Lucasfilm or like the picture with her and Mark Hamill. I think she posted when she was on his back. Like those sorts of things I'll miss. Did you ever mm-hmm. follow Daisy Ridley on, on Instagram or yeah. social media back then? Absolutely. And I, I mean, I agree. And I, I feel the same way about Kelly Marie Tran. Um, mm-hmm. Her, her posts were also just like the biggest burst of rays of sunshine. Um, if, however you can translate that to the internet. So like, I definitely understand that. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I mean, I'm, while I'm bummed, she won't be back. It makes every single ounce of sense to me. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think there is an ability to find any fault in, in her choice. Oh yeah, absolutely not. Um, I just, I found it interesting that she readdressed it, especially after Kelly Marie Tran was bullied off of social media. So I think it's the right choice for her at the end of the day. She's got to do what's what's best for her. And um, everybody should respect that. But I mm-hmm. will say I, I do. It just made me think back to those posts. And I was like, dang, I really do miss Daisy Ridley on Instagram. Like she had some great, great stuff going. So, um, but, you know, hopefully we continue to see her career blossom and see her in more things down the line and her acting career take off. And I'd love to see her in more films. So, mm-hmm. Our last bit of the Daisy Ridley press tour, as you call it, is when she spoke with Vulture in an article titled, We Asked Daisy Ridley to Describe Adam Driver's Bigness and Other Questions. (laughs) Oh, man. That didn't make the Raylo community go crazy just by that title alone. Um, You know, I I don't know what does. That's just such a tight. That's just such a loaded title. (laughs) Do you know about those two articles on, I think they're, it's The Cut, and there are two specific articles just talking about, like, how large of a human being Adam Driver is. They're the funniest pieces of, like, entertainment journalism I have ever read, and I will send them (laughs) to you after we podcast. That's great. I need to read those. But she, uh, she touched on a few things after she talked about Ophelia, and she had mentioned the unused footage from Force Awakens where her and Leia hug. And she talked a little bit about bringing that back to life and kind of how eerie it is to see it. And she mentioned Carrie in that scene. She goes, she was actually whispering, this is a long hug. I was trying to do my acting like, oh my God, Carrie, there wasn't any discussion about what we were going to do. So I just think I just love Carrie Fisher still making us laugh in the, in the afterlife. She's, we're just still finding things out about her that... <laughs> Just, it brought so much joy to me to see that sentence from Daisy Ridley. Um, a, a true gem. A true gem. Right. Carrie Fisher was and is and, and forever will be. And I'm glad that we all uh, have a little look in on that 
very funny memory. Yeah. And uh, Vulture said, our sister publication did a funny piece on the absolute enormity of Adam Driver, which I'm sure is what you're referencing. That's probably what I'm talking about. (laughs) Is he an overwhelming presence physically? And she responded, absolutely, yes. They asked, how would you describe his size? She says, I would describe him like a hulking, skulking. I think skulking implies something negative. But yeah, hulking and skulking. That's how I describe him. It sounds so disrespectful for somebody I've worked with for so long. And then she laughs. That's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any comments. I just think that's so funny. Yeah, I think we can just leave that there just to linger <laughs> on and, you know, just drink drink the tea on that one and, you know, <laughs> taste it. See, what, see how you feel about it. <laughs> Let us know. And the last bit of Star Wars-ness that she brought up was regarding the future movies that are coming out. I'm so good at this thing, this, this thing <laughs> called podcasting. It's so good. They asked her if she had given a chance if she would come back to play Rey. Uh, and she said, it felt like an end. I don't know what will happen in however many years. There are so many characters in the Star Wars world who have never been explored. There's so much for the filmmakers to work on. So right now, I don't think so. But who could say, really? An, an opportunity might present itself. I love how the movie hasn't come out yet. And people are like, what about going forward? Right now, it feels like a really nice full stop on the Skywalker series. So I think this is different than what we mentioned earlier about not saying, not covering the story of like, she won't be the next trilogy. Cause this is more about just like, will she return the star Wars? Which I think is worth mentioning more, a little, a little more in depth. I think she could return down the line. I think, I don't think she'll be in like other projects. I think whatever capacity that she'll be in is going to be a continuation of nine, maybe not necessarily dubbed the Skywalker saga, but maybe her like own saga that takes place post rise of Skywalker. So maybe 10 years down the line when she's a bit, you know, older and has had some breathing room for her career. I think that might be a good opportunity to bring her back on board. But I don't think she'll appear in other projects outside of that scope. So what do you what do you think about that? I think for the most part, I agree. Unless they start planning to do anthology type movies to whatever timeline they pick up next. If that timeline happens to fall within um, like this, you know. I guess a recent recent past or what is the word I'm looking for like just over the horizon history or present future words are hard cancel me I'm canceled (laughs) okay um anyway (laughs) right around the same uh time period obviously she couldn't appear like a hundred years ago or a hundred years in the future um but if they pick up with somebody else you know 30 years down the line and she can appear in that in some way. And so sort of um, cameo, I could see that happening, just like the Vader Rogue One kind of a dealio. Um, but, but other than that, yeah, I mean, do new stuff. Live your life. Like, uh, it doesn't all need to be around the six people that appear in these movies regularly, you know? Um, yeah, I And agree. I think that it, some segments of fandom or some fans paint themselves into a, a box that is not productive because everything yeah. everything has to relate to these five characters or whatever there's way it's a way larger galaxy than that so yeah what i what i do think is interesting is she says i love how the movie hasn't come out yet and people are like what about going forward right now it feels like a really full nice full stop on the skywalker series and i just think that's an interesting way to put it because 
yeah, you can say there's a resolution, but like a, a full stop, um, to me, my, my brain immediately goes to everybody's dying. Everybody in this movie is dead. Like, um, so I don't know. Hey, but when you make a full stop at a stop sign, what do you do after that? A full stop is like a parking lot. No, but you I mean, unless you're doing, a, unless you're doing the no cop, no stop rule. But if you make a full stop at a stop sign, California roll. You wait your th- you wait your three seconds and you keep moving forward. So maybe a full stop is just saying we're taking a full stop right now. We're not going to keep rolling with it right now. We're going to give ourselves those three seconds that you legally should be taking, or you could get a ticket. <laughs> Lucasfilm. That's but, a way to look at it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but no, maybe maybe by full stop, I'm we're really microanalyzing this, but maybe, maybe I am. Maybe full stop just means we're taking a full stop right now. We'll revisit it again and continue moving forward. So yeah. um, my meta- my metaphors don't work. Everybody should stop following me. Your metaphors don't work. My words <laughs> don't work. This is not happening. <laughs> well. <laughs> well, you you know what is going to happen well. Us talking about the hero's journey from the perspective of Ray. Ooh, what a smooth transition. What wow. a smooth. Right in there. <laughs> And into the next segment. Amen. Amen. And cue the music. Oh, no. Hold on. It, we're, we're, Input it in the edit. <laughs> Hold on. It's not working. Oh, I wanted to do my air horn. It's fine. We I have an air horn app, but I was excited about it. That is so, so lame, and I'm going to call you out for it right now on the podcast. <laughs> all right. So thank you all for uh, listening to this first part. So now we're going to delve into, again, the hero's journey of Ray. A lot of the material that we're going to be using summarizing Joseph Campbell's work is from the book Myth and the Movies, Discovering the Mythic Structure of 50 Unforgettable Films by Stuart Voitilla. And he wrote this book in 1999, Represent Phantom Menace. And so we're going to be going based off of this short excerpt from his book. I don't have the full book by Joseph Campbell, so I thought this was a good representation of what Joseph Campbell was going after. And then while we talk about the hero's journey from Campbell's perspective, Sarah, do you want to talk about what you're going to be weaving into it as well? Yeah, absolutely. So Maureen Murdoch wrote a book called The Heroine's Journey, um, which is the hero's journey from a little bit female point of view. And um, it's something that specifically the Raylo community has talked extensively about and, and brought up in a number of conversations. And so I would definitely point you towards the, the Raylos in general, um, but specifically, most recently, Hammy uh, at Balanced Padawan uh, wrote a great thread on it. Um, I believe the Sky Talkers, um, Scavengers Horde, what the force are some notable podcasts at least that uh, have touched on it. So definitely big credits to them, but we're also going to be talking a bit about the heroine's journey. Perfect. Yeah. And how we're going to break this up is into three distinct segments. We're going to break it up into the force awakens, the last Jedi and the rise of Skywalker in that order. And we will be talking about how Ray has progressed as a character and what, her journey so far spells for what could happen to her in the rise of Skywalker if we're to follow that same trajectory. So let's get started with the force awakens. The light. It's always been there. 
it will guide you. The saber. Take it. I'm never touching that thing again. I don't want any part of this. So, the first step of a hero's journey, according to Joseph Campbell, is the ordinary world. So this ordinary world is where we get to know the hero and identify with their, their drives, their urges, their problems, kind of what they represent or what their, what their status quo is. And they also talk about what's, what's called the central dramatic question. So this is what will eventually disrupt the ordinary world, what's going to kind of present a problem, like a true underlying problem to the character that's eventually going to launch their hero's journey. And that's when they're going to have to enter what's called the special world. So that's the special world. In this episode, the ordinary world is what the character comes from. And the special world is the actual journey of that character, the experiences that they go through. And that special world is what is going to allow them to solve that question, that that central dramatic question. So, Sarah, I want to ask you, what do you think the central dramatic question is for Ray that disrupts her ordinary world? Ooh, central dramatic question. I see that kind of as a what more to there in the world is what I am. Yeah. Wow, those are really, really hard tonight. What more in there is the world in the world uh, than what I'm currently living? Yeah, um, I've never seen this much green in the galaxy. Exactly, exactly. Um, so the the you know the question is like who's out there? For her, that that question also, you know, includes her parents. Um, but who's out there? What's out there? When will it be my turn? Mm-hmm what i see it as i think that's i think that's really valid and i think you see that when she looks up into the sky puts on her rebellion pilot helmet and mm -hmm. sees that ship flying in the sky so i think to me like when i first saw that in ray that was when i really identified with her of just this like really ordinary person who thinks of something bigger something that they're trying to attain but feels just so far away from like what their life is and when you look at her ordinary world, it's it's her salvaging parts, you know, going rummaging through star destroyers in the ship in the junk. Uh, what is it called? The ship, the ship graveyard or the giant yeah. graveyard of the giants, I think it's called. And mm -hmm. turning these in for portions, she barely gets enough portions to get by. And you see how fast she consumes the food. I don't know. That's something I always picked up on. Like she eats the bread so quickly, it felt like. And to me, that kind of felt like some sort of just desperation of like. I've been starving for a few days. This is like the first food I've had in a little bit. I'm really hungry right now. And to me, that was like such a sad moment, such a small detail. And her writing the numbers on the wall saying how mm -hmm. long she's been going through this. So she's obviously counting for something. Because if you're working towards something, you don't count the number of days you're working towards it, you know? So yeah. for her, I think that was her getting off the planet. And she's counting mm -hmm. the days, wanting to know X... You know, when she does leave that planet, it took me this many days to get to this point. This this is how much it means to me. I mean, I think I read it in perhaps a slightly different way than you do in the sense that um, she is a person of habit, both by um, choice and by force. Um, a person of habit in the sense that she dresses in the same exact way she did when she was left as a kid. Um, 
person of habit in the sense that she marks the day every day. Um, mm. And so her ordinary world uh, is very routine. Um, it is her getting whatever portion she can, her scavenging all day, her being very alone, um, I would assume. And the special world, the world beyond that is something that is adventurous and not monotonous and the same and different and beautiful and all of these different things. So, um, you see it perhaps as counting down and, and maybe I see it a little bit more as just, um, routine and choice. It's almost like very symbolic of just our own lives in a way. Like you get your job, you go to work every day, you do the kind of the same thing over and over. And we sit at our desks, like at least I do thinking about like what could be, or, you know, if I were to drop everything right now and go do something spontaneous or just take a risk, like what would it be? So I think mm -hmm. for her, it's like, you know, the monotony, the repetition that you talk about for her, it's like, what would be that thing that I would do? And for her, it's to fly out of this world. So the second step, when she gets that call to the adventure is what that, that second step in the hero's journey is. Um, for, for the hero, it's when their comfort is disrupted and this is generally delivered by the the herald archetype and the herald is somebody that comes to to warn and challenge so what do you what do you see as the call to adventure for ray being wow i feel like you asked that question and i go the force awakens who um <laughs> it's been a hot minute uh you know, it's it's the sense of, oh, here, here's a droid. Here is a person who I've heard about all these legends and myths of, of this rebellion. Um, and it's adventurous and it's something different. And so there's new people in her life that um, are a call to action. And something to note while we talk about this too, these heroes' journeys and the heroines' journeys, journeys, I keep, I keep wanting to You keep jerseys. doing it. <laughs> yeah. Just got sports in my mind. Sports ball. Sports. Um, I the these aren't set in stone. They're very uh, flexible, and they're not rigid. So they can really conform to whatever story is being told. So I think the herald for for Ray is, I could argue at first, BB-8. He's there to warn her of his mission to get back to the resistance, and for her, she feels so attached to this little tiny droid. Like she hasn't had anybody at all like ever except mm -hmm. when her parents left so she's been alone for so long and this droid's almost like this shining beacon and i think that's where her story is a little more tragic in a way than luke because luke at least had an uncle and an aunt that he could live with and and get food from and yeah even though he didn't he wanted to go to the imperial academy and be a, a pilot he still would have had like a semi-decent life as a moisture farmer not a great life according to to Jason Fry in the the last Jedi novelization, not really a life that he truly wanted, but a life, you know, he would have survived, he would have been married, that sort of thing. But I think for Ray seeing this droid, it's like, wow, like this kind of just dropped into my lap unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's really truly like the first call to to adventure for her as this droid. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. How does does a heroine's heroine's jersey journey? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> and the heroine's journey what do you think how do the first two steps of the hero's journey by campbell reflect what you see through through that lens so 
the heroine's journey takes me a much more inward approach to um, what a hero looks like and what, um, you know, a, a person looks like. Whereas I feel like Joseph Campbell Campbell's um, The Hero's Journey is all about how the audience views um, views our hero, how they how they see the person on screen. I feel like the heroine's journey is much more of an internal idea for the character um, themselves. So Mm -hmm. uh, the first step of the hero or heroine's journey, according to Maureen Murdoch is a separation from the feminine. Um, And that already is a very personal um, inside idea. Um, And then the second, uh, part of that is identification with the masculine and gathering of allies. That's kind of both of the things we just talked about. And so as Hammy puts it on her uh, lovely diagram on her Twitter, and I agree with her, um, she writes uh, that the separation from the feminine is Ray's parents abandoning her. So whereas the hero's journey kind of touches on things, maybe at the time we meet the character at the beginning of the film, um, the heroine's journey in this case for Ray is suggesting that her journey started the moment her life got flipped upside down when she was left on Jakku. Uh, and I definitely understand that that's, that's where all her drive um, to live her routine and to be a creature of habit and to scavenge comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely a huge building block of her character and who she is when we do meet her in um the Force Awakens. Would you yeah, agree? I mean, Is that something I, sound yeah, on that's track? Actually, yeah, that's a really interesting take in terms of her journey starting way before we meet her. Because I think that's, we as an audience, we really tend to think these characters only exist in the moments in which we know them on film. Mm-hmm. Which is why I value the books and the comics and everything so much is because it's filling in a lot of those different gaps that are still important, but we don't necessarily see visually. So yeah, I think, Ray's parents abandoning her is definitely a good starting point for her journey and even fitting back to the central dramatic question for her character I think beyond see asking herself the question of what's beyond Jakku what's out there I think another central dramatic question there could be more than two I think another one is why did my parents abandon me why am I alone why was I left on this planet to fend for myself which Ray has been a fighter her whole life. Like she mm-hmm. was left alone. I don't we don't know the details. Obviously, like we saw Unkar plot saying like quiet girl and like pulling her away as her parents are flying off. So we know maybe in some respect he took care of her a little bit, a little bit. Um I I think in the sense that that guy at the end of her last Jedi takes care of those kids, like you know, the guy that like walks in and starts screaming at him as they're playing mm-hmm. with the toys. I think that's that same relationship that Ray had with Unkar plot. Which I think Brian Johnson does a great job paralleling that with those children and and what Ray had growing up. But um, yeah, I think that her question is just like, why did I have to fend for my whole life? Like she's obviously built a really strong skill set of of staff combat and scavenging the right parts and, and just surviving day to day. So I think, yeah, I think her abandonment from by her parents is definitely a huge point for her. Yeah, and, and, and that's especially if we're reading um, the feminine. And again, that 
I think can be interpreted differently by, um, you know, any sort of person, whatever their gender about what feminine is. But, uh, Maureen Murdoch, uh, writes it something as often a mother or societally societally prescribed feminine role. So being a child, being cared for, um, being separated from, you know, uh, a, a female figure, um, and, and all that. So I definitely think she's been on her journey since the beginning, um, uh, of her young life. And yeah, she's definitely had to fend for herself and take on what perhaps society, society, uh, at least the way we as, you know, people, uh, humans in the real world and not fiction, read it, uh, and take on a more masculine role as, um, uh, a fighter, a hunter gatherer of sorts, um, and somebody who is providing for themselves, which is often seen as a, a masculine trait. Um, Mm -hmm. and then with Ray meeting, you know, her, her new allies, BB-8 and Finn and Han, um, she meets all of these male characters first and they become her first new allies. So that definitely goes into that identification with the masculine. She sees that she can uh, relate to them. Han takes to her uh, and they, you know, form a relationship very quickly. Um, He or her and Finn uh, form a relationship very quickly. He, he seems to be really wanting to care for her. Um, But again, she's identifying with the masculine trait of, you know, don't hold my hand. I've got it. You know, I can figure it out myself. <laughs> um, and she won't take any of his um, unintentional, but uh, like talking down to her, thinking that she needs help um, by holding her hand or uh, asking if she has a boyfriend or whatever. Um, so, yeah. You got a boyfriend, cute boyfriend? I hate that business. That's what. <laughs> Um, yeah no that's and again I think you know I I mentioned BB-8 earlier as being the herald for for Ray and I think also obviously Finn is a is a big one but when you think about the timing I don't think she would have been in that same place had it not been for BB-8 so um it's it's interesting how those things just perfectly fall in place Uh, I look at it less as dust ex machina than I do as like fate and destiny in Star Wars Mm -hmm. so that's something to keep in mind. The uh, I'll, I'll I'll go over the next few points of the the hero's journey, at least from the perspective of the of the Force Awakens, and we'll we'll continue to weave in the heroine's journey into it as well. So the refusal of the call—that's when the fears and the insecurities set in for the hero. It's when they prefer their safe haven, and I think that's less of a specific point in the movie than it is generally just the character of Rey throughout the Force Awakens. We see her very much always wanting to go back to Jakku. Why does everybody want to go back to Jakku? And <laughs> and Ray constantly wants to go back, and it's the it's what she deals with when she speaks with Maz, where Maz mm-hmm. tells her the the longing you you uh, I forget exactly how she says it. It says like the answers you seek or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's like the longing you or whatever you long for is not behind you; it's ahead. So for Ray, that's her that's her dealing internally with the refusal of the call. She's refusing to go on this journey. Um, And it coincides with the step of meeting the mentor, which the mentor's purpose as an archetype is to, is to guide 
And this is somebody that's traveled the, the road before and, and they know what kind of guidance that they need to provide to the hero, it, a hero that is reluctant to to face the unknown. So for Ray, that's obviously Han. He's that veteran character who has been through the rebellion. He's been on the hero's journey himself and he's been through so much as a person. And so he knows the exact advice to provide to Ray. Like, you know, here's your weapon. I know how to use it. He's like, I know that's why I'm giving it to you. Like he's been on that same road. It's like when Beckett mm-hmm. gave him, when Beckett gave him his gun, you know, it's like the same exact thing. Like Beckett knows Han can use it. That's why he gives it to him. He's not telling Han like, Hey, you got to use it. Like, you know how to use this thing. So, um, it's the, another really fun parallel right there. So, um, so yeah, I think obviously Han is a huge role for, for Ray, which is why I think it's so detrimental to her journey when he dies and i hope that's something that gets addressed again in the future so um how do those two steps the refusal of the call and the and the meeting the mentor does that play into the the heroine's journey a little more yeah i I do want to touch on you said you felt that the refusal to the call wasn't a specific moment you did mention that ma's moment in the castle where she's crying and she just doesn't want to accept what's been handed to her, that being the Skywalker saber. And I definitely think that is her moment of refusal to the call. Yeah, I would agree with that, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So the the next um, piece of the heroine's journey is roads, the road of trials. And it, it says meeting ogres and dragons. Um, Shrek. This basically. Shrek. Yeah. This the, is a Shrek podcast. We're going to well, start playing Smash Mouth in five, four. Yes, Three, do it, do two. it. Somebody. Anyway. Um, love Smash Mouth. I'm a big fan. Um, but but the idea of the meeting the ogres and dragons is not only a sense of, oh no, here are trials and tribulations, but here is the world beyond what you know um, already. Um, and let's see. So it says the hero heroine encounters trials and meets people who try to dissuade her from pursuing her chosen path and or destroy her. Um, ogres and dragon, dragons or their metaphorical counterparts. And so we definitely see that um, within uh, her going to Maz's castle and just being overwhelmed by what's going on there and seeing all of the life uh, in different aliens and species and um walks of life and ways to live, uh, as well as seeing Finn wanting to run away, um, and wanting to get out, you know, saying, what are you, what are you doing? What, which, why are you making this choice? And then when she's confronted with the Skywalker saber and has that vision, um, having to choose whether she wants to accept that mission or not. And the big person dissuading her from that is herself, Uh, because Mm -hmm. Maz knows that that's the right choice and the force knows that that's the right choice. Um, and so her, her refusing her own refusal to the call, uh, is really important. I think in that, in that moment of the heroine's journey. And I also think the road of trials, um, has to do a lot with, uh, the interrogation scene where, uh, not an ogre or a dragon, but a prince, perhaps, <laughs> walks in <laughs> her life um, and attempts to pick her brain 
uh, but she fights back. He's dissuading her from getting into this world and from, um, you know, <sighs> dissuading her from thinking she has any sort of power or agency uh, in a way. And she fights back against that and matches him. Uh, I think, which is a really, really powerful moment within her heroine's journey. How would you have felt if when Kylo took his mask off, it was just Shrek underneath? <laughs> like I when Shrek takes his mask off. off to Fiona? Um, as we know, I am not a Shrek fan. <laughs> I'm so sorry at everybody who is my age and like four years younger and older. Um, <laughs> I'm not a Shrek yeah, fan. <laughs> Well, in all seriousness, though, uh, I, you bring up an interesting point, like with her. Um, how, how did you describe it? It's like all the things that she sees in the in Maz's bar and cantina is like very overwhelming for her. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really why the hero's journey is so difficult. It's that difference between the ordinary world and the special world. So she goes from this ordinary world with the monotonous routine that we talked about to now the special world where it's a lot to handle for her in such a short time period. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why she refuses the call. It's like, if this is what it's going to be like, and this is what I'm going to have to constantly deal with, this isn't what I'm going to sign up for. I want to go back home. I want to go back to that ordinary world where things are easygoing relatively like i'm used to that so it's easy going it's not necessarily easy for survival but it's easy to me because i'm used to it Mm -hmm. and i think that's it what's it's what distinguishes a hero journey from a a hero's journey from like the average journey of of a human being or a person um that's really the the crux of the moment of like am i gonna do this this thing you know so Mm-hmm. And speaking of doing this thing, the last part that we'll hit on with the, the Force Awakens portion of this hero's journey is the crossing of the threshold. Now, this is where the hero truly enters the special world because they are confronted by some force that commits them to it. And this is also where the, the central dramatic question, question is uh, also reestablished for the hero. It's word that comes back to the forefront of their mind. And and something I want to bring up, I had actually tweeted this the other day, but uh, looking at the crossing of the threshold for both Anakin, Luke, and Rey, the same exact music plays in every movie. In The Phantom Menace, in A New Hope, in The Force Awakens, it's the same John Williams Force-themed score. A New Hope and Force Awakens match up perfectly, but The Phantom Menace, when Anakin leaves Shmi... It's the same exact music. It's just uh, a different variant of it, which I find is really interesting. So now I really identify with that music as the hmm. the crossing of the threshold music, the theme for that, the theme for the hero taking that first step into a larger world because it's when Anakin leaves his mom, it's when Luke sees his homestead burning, and it's when Rey gets that lightsaber right out of the snow. Mm-hmm. So for Rey, that crossing of that threshold is her reaching out the force is all of a sudden awakening within her and she's got that lightsaber and it calls to her just like Maz had told her it would. And it's when she kind of, the, the way she looks at the saber when she gets it in her hands is like 
the best acting. It's just so great. It's just her looking at it and she's so confused and kind of terrified at the same time. Mm-hmm. But she picks it up anyways and puts both hands on it and she still has that like terrified look in her face and it lights up and she's still feeling the exact same. It's not until like a few seconds after that she gets that kind of like mean grin on her face and is like ready for the battle. So it's such brilliant acting from Daisy Ridley, I think, to really portray that crossing of the threshold, that hero finally taking that leap of faith into the unknown. What do you what do you think of this moment? This is really the crux of the of the hero besides the like getting past the refusal of the call this is the result of that yeah this is like the culmination of her journey so far um and her her big moment where she is quite literally like in a duel with the antagonist um or who she believes is you know her enemy and it's so interesting because the the heroine's journey touches on the same thing um and that is finding the boon of success. And Maureen Murdoch, it's kind of translated into um, overcoming the obstacles. This would typically be where the hero or shiro's journey tale ends. And in the sense of, you know, the Force Awakens, um, that is where it ends. She bests Kylo. She, you know, gets off the gets off the planet alive. Starkiller base is blown up. And there's a sense, there's a sense of, um, we want, um, and that's the, the, we won aspect of that is typically where a, a hero's journey seems to end. Um, but that's not necessarily the case for the heroine's journey as we see in, in, you know, the next couple of episodes, one, which we have seen and one, which we haven't. So. When you think of the heroine's journey, actually, the way that you put the first step in that, which is her journey starts when her parents leave her, I mm-hmm. think then the crossing of the threshold portion of the journey actually has more of an impact. Because when you, you mentioned the word culmination, which I really liked, it's not just the culmination of the previous hour and a half of the movie that you've watched. It's the culmination of 14 years, well, maybe 14, she's 19 at the time. So 14 yeah, years, let's say her parents left her when she was five, of this is her life has led to this. It's not just like, you know, this recent day in her life, her entire life has led to this. And it's why she's able to pick up that lightsaber so easily. She's not only well-trained having to survive Mm -hmm. on Jakku, but now she's tapping into the force on top of that. So she's just so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So did you have anything else to add for this force awakens portion of the, the heroes and heroines journey? I don't, I don't think so, but I, I, I guess that's a lie. I do. I have something to say. Um, I do think that, you know, we see her start to begin to understand what her destiny is. And while perhaps we see less of that arc in a character like Luke from when we meet him as a farm boy to the end of, um, you know, A New Hope, to me, there's, there's like a very clear sense of uh destined outcome when it comes to ray uh and every choice that she makes feeds into this destined outcome um whereas it feels different to me for um luke and anakin but that's a little bit different of a story because it's more of a continuation than a a creation but um I think Ray is in a very unique position 
um, Mm -hmm. to rectify the whole story as opposed to just being a player in it, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. So, all right, well, that ends the Force Awakens portion. Now let's get right into The Last Jedi. Something inside me has always been there. But now it's awake. And I'm afraid. I don't know what it is, what to do with it. And I need help. So the first part of The Last Jedi I think that the hero's journey picks up on is tests allies and enemies. This is where the hero encounters allies, confronts enemies, and learns the rules of the special world. They learn how the special rule world operates compared to what they're used to in the ordinary world. So we're continuing to learn it. They haven't fully grasped the special world physics yet, but they're picking up on some things. And this is when the hero needs to find out who can be trusted. And it's when their powers and their skills are tested and they seek knowledge from their mentor. So even though her first mentor gets killed, Luke picks up the mantle right off the bat. And I think that's sidebar. I think that's why I love how the the original three kind of took a little bit of a backseat in this trilogy because they're more of the mentor archetype in this trilogy. They're not supposed Mm -hmm. to be, you know, Luke Skywalker, super buff fighting off evil with Mara Jade. It's supposed to be Luke the grizzled veteran who's trying to teach and pass on what he's learned, like Yoda taught him and the empire strikes back. Mm-hmm. So uh, this step is really, really crucial for, for Ray. It's now that she's fully crossed the threshold, she's got to establish some rules. How, how would you analyze this portion of, of her, of her journey? Yeah. At the end of the force awakens, we see it kind of as a success that um, like, Hey, we've found Luke, let's go get him. And, you know, at the very end, we, we see their, their first meeting and, you know, it's perhaps the reason why a lot of people were like, he's through the lightsaber. Oh my God, that's not what I was expecting because I, you know, waited two years and had so many thoughts, um, about what was going to happen. Uh, but the heroine's journey reads this idea as the heroine awakens to feelings of spiritual aridity or death. Um, because the, this this is says because the new way of life is too limited success in this new way of life is either temporary illusionary shallow or requires a betrayal of self over time um and i find that really interesting because we do see her going off to train as you know this new way of life for her and so many people refer to ray as a jedi but when she goes to Octo and she, you know, meets uh, meets Luke, he's unwilling to train her. He doesn't want to train her. The Jedi are are ending. There is a sense of death within the Jedi. He's he, Luke is quite literally going to die, like going to that island to die. Um, so there's a sense of uh, a failure for her in not being able to. Um, be able to achieve that level of Jedi or that level of power that she sees um, or that she believes the legacy of the Jedi to be. And it takes Luke to not yet train her, but to tell her where the Jedi went wrong um, in order for her to understand that when she learns these things, she has to take them a different way or else just like the Jedi before her 
all of this, you know, success will be only temporary or, or completely shallow because she'll just make the same mistakes of the past, which is a completely um, opposite line to Kylo's way of thinking, which is let the past die. So, yeah. I love that Luke says Darth Sidious. <laughs> just, oh, no, oh. he says Palpatine. I'm just like, yes. Oh, it's like, come on, bring me the Easter eggs, Mark Hamill. Come on. Uh, I think what you touched on is important, very important for the next step, which is the approach, approach the inmost cave. This is when preparations to face the quote-unquote greatest fear or the supreme danger lurking in the special world begins. It's when the hero starts to develop those skills further and really prepare themselves emotionally, physically, mentally, all of the above. However, it's also when a confident hero could maybe bypass those preparations, just go right into it, make the bold approach. And I think when you're talking about facing the greatest fear or supreme danger obviously a supreme leader snoke is perhaps the supreme leader snoke supreme supreme um (laughs) so for the purposes of the last jedi that's the the supreme danger that's lurking in the special world it's snoke he's the overarching villain at least up till that point we think he's going to be for the whole trilogy um and she clearly bypasses those preparations like you said she's so inclined i think towards the past Whereas Luke is telling her, like, this is not going to go the way you think. Like, mm. I've I've traveled this road before. You think it's going to go this way. I know where the Jedi went wrong. I know where I went wrong, too. It's not going to go the way you think. Mm-hmm. And Rey is very overconfident. Your overconfidence will be your weakness. That's what Palpatine tells Luke in The Return of the Jedi. It's why the writing in The Last Jedi is so brilliant now that I think about oh, it. But Mood, agree. Luke Luke knows what overconfidence can do and he was warned of it and that's why he's trying to convince Ray like stay a little longer let's not do this right away like you're gonna go there and you're thinking one thing and Snoke and Kylo have other stuff planned for you on their agenda so I think that's when she makes that approach to the the inmost cave did you have anything else that you wanted to add on to that before we get into the, the actual throne room scene I mean, approach to inmost cave, that one really hits the nail on the head when she goes into that cave and confronts her own fear of, of who am yeah. I? Who are my parents? Um, and in in the heroine's journey that's painted as uh, the initiation and descent to the goddess, the heroine faces a crisis of some sort which the new way is insufficient and falls into despair. Um, All of her masculine strategies have failed her. And I don't know if that one uh, translates as well as what you've just suggested within the hero's journey does, or maybe, maybe I'm reading um, the incorrect part when it comes to uh, that step. Um, I definitely see Ray as facing a crisis in the sense that she goes to the dark side immediately when she is feeling out the force. She wasn't afraid to go to that dark side. She goes into the dark side cave um, and explores that side of the force. So there's definitely a conflict within the spiritual realm of how we see Star Wars. But I don't know if um, 
I mean, I guess she falls into despair. Despair. The new way is insufficient because she ends up having a midnight chat with uh, her boy Kylo Ren about that experience and is crying about it. Um, but then, you know, then she touches hands with him and then everything changes because they've seen each other's future so, you know, clearly and they all think they know what's coming next. But it's not true. Anyway. I want to watch The Last Jedi so bad right now. So but <laughs> um, what actually, you bring up a great point. I'm so glad you reminded me of the the, ca- the actual literal cave. Um, yes. What I want to go back to the supreme danger looking in the special world. What we established at the beginning of this conversation was the central dramatic question. Mm-hmm. So, and we we talked about one version of that is what's out there. And the second is who are my parents? Why'd they leave me? The, the supreme danger could actually, one other interpretation of it, the supreme danger could be the answer to one of those central dramatic mm. questions. It could be the answer to who are my parents. And I think that's, she she bypasses those preparations where Luke's like, you almost went full dark and went into that cave. You know, or later the- on, she, she bypasses it, just goes right in there to confront the supreme danger. And she doesn't necessarily get the answer that she expects because she bypassed the preparations for it. And I... I do think the third question in all of this is who am I? Yeah. Um, and if you're a musical theater fan, the answer is two, four, six, oh, one. But alas, this isn't a <laughs> musical theater podcast. Um, Until now, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> Les Miserables. Um, but no, you know, I think I think this in- initiation and descent to the goddess continues through the throne room scene, I think even i don't know go ahead you talk about the hero's journey (laughs) no continue no that's all i had to say please go transition move it yeah so the ordeal is the last step that we're going to address for the last jedi this is where the central life or death crisis occurs for the hero they face their greatest fear they confront the most difficult challenge and they experience quote-unquote death uh only only through death can the hero be reborn and they experience a sort of resurrection that grants them greater powers or greater insight to how the journey uh, is going to go or going to end eventually. And I really think this is, this is actually when you look at the hero's journey of both Ray and Kylo, I think this is the intersection of the two for this exact mm-hmm. step. And it's where they both have to experience death in some sort of fashion to grant themselves greater insight and greater power. And I think for, for Ray, that's the death of Luke and for Kylo, that's the death of Snoke. So that's mm-hmm. that's where these two intersect, and it's why the scene with them reaching out for the saber is so powerful, because they're both on the same exact step of the hero's journey, and it's like, who's going to come out on top? Who's going to continue to advance? And um, this is where the hero also is pitted against the shadow archetype, which is to destroy. Uh, the shadow is somebody that is the darkest desire or the demon lurking within ourselves that we, we seek to destroy, and I think in some fashion for kylo even that's snoke because he's always invaded his mind and for ray it's the kind of you know i don't even know how off the top of my head how to describe it but um and, and just something to know as well in romantic comedies uh the ordeal is possibly the physical act of love or the moment when a shapeshifter lover shape-shifting lover suddenly reveals the dark side that attempts to destroy the hero and the shape-shifting archetype is somebody who questions or deceives um, the hero by Mm. misleading them 
uh, and hiding their true intentions or loyalties and by surfacing doubt in the hero's mind, which makes me think the shapeshifter is obviously Kylo because unintentionally or in- intentionally, he kind of plants those seeds of doubt within Ray by saying, like, did Luke really tell you the true story? Did he tell you what really happened that night in the tent? And they hold hands and, and, and Ray super trusts him and she's deceived not only by Snoke and, and Kylo, but or, or not only by Snoke, but also Kylo. Um, so this, this whole ordeal is such a, is such a, the, the throne through throne room scene is truly like a belly of the beast moment for Ray. How, how do you view all this for Ray's journey? Yeah, it is. It is definitely a belly of the beast moment and it's a really, really pivotal moment. Um, I love so much when Raylos and other people who read these movies say that um, Kylo and Ray are uh, like force married, um, like spiritually married uh, in their journeys, um, literally and figuratively at like this point in the movie. Um, and what I think is really, <laughs> I don't, that's just a side note. What I think is really interesting as it regards to the heroine's journey, again, with that initiation and descent to the, to the goddess uh, is this line where it says all of her masculine strategies have failed her. Um, so she's trying to connect with him. She's tried to overpower him. Um, she's tried to stand her ground and she, whatever she does, she can't get him to come over to her side um, at that moment in the throne room. And so I definitely see that as, you know, all of her strategies have failed her. She can't figure his rejection of her out because they've had multiple moments of connection um, and they're still not connected, if that makes sense. Yeah. How do you think a male hero would have handled the situation differently? If Ray were a male in this situation. With another male villain? With Kylo. So assuming Kylo and Snoke are the same. How do you think it might have gone differently for for this scene from a different perspective. It's just something I'm kind of thinking of right now. I think if, if you're suggesting Ray is a male character, is that what you're suggesting? I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, I think it wouldn't have been as quiet of a moment, um, as gut wrenching even of a moment. Um, and that's not, to diminish the thought of having a a male character in that position. But um, what works so well within that is how they are opposites of one another and yet the same. And perhaps that wouldn't exactly play in the same way if that character, if the right character were another male. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking of it in regards to like, obviously Luke and, this scene very much mirrors Luke, Vader, and Palpatine sure. Return of the Jedi. So I'm just kind of think like, you know, how did Rey handle it differently, just from her own like perspective and uh, as a as a female hero. And there's more crying. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what Friday Night Me says. I'm so sorry. Forgive me for that. Yeah, um, yeah it, it's just an interesting thought. I th- I feel like it would have been louder. Like you said, it was quieter. Yeah, I think quiet. it would have been louder with like the two like males fighting each other kind of for like the who's more powerful sort of way, which I think happened with Luke and Vader. I think it was like Luke got so angry and that's why he just started attacking Vader and cut off his hand. And ultimately he was able, he was able to like reel that back a little bit 
when he realized like what he had just overcome him in those moments. Um, and I think like Ray doesn't necessarily experience that because she feels like the certain connection to Kylo because he's the opposite of her. He's the inverted character of her own self. I'm going to attempt something may totally fall apart. You can see perhaps the end of a new hope in the end of empire or even return of the Jedi as flipped when it comes to the sequel trilogy. So we have in the force awakens, the show of power and strength and might and, and these very outwardly expressions of what we see power as. And in the last Jedi, we see a very inward, um, show of strength in that moment, at least, um, in a very quiet contemplative journey in order to have that moment, just as like when Luke needed to look through, look to the forest in order to be able to blow up the death star. So maybe those, um, types of endings are reversed in these two trilogies, which might, make us think differently about how these character dynamics work perhaps i don't know so you're saying like the ending of return of the jedi is flip with m or like the ending that we get for the third movie in the original trilogy is with the ending that we get in the second movie of the sequel trilogy i mean yes that's i guess that's kind of what i'm saying um I think in general, I see the end of the last Jedi to be much more resolute, uh, yeah. than, um, than that of other darker middle chapters. Um, okay. Yep. I see what you're saying now, but yeah, even like attack but, of the clones too, is like the, the Republic is looming and the grand army is being formed. It's like very ominous. Yeah. And, so and those more, are very resolute. outward expressions of power and might. Um, you know, Vader cutting off his hand in ESB and, you know, the destruction of Palpatine and, you know, all that in Return of the Jedi versus with, in that moment, I know that's not the end of the movie, but in that moment in the confrontation between Kylo and Rey, it doesn't end in a show of power and might necessarily. It ends in a show of the Force and also that really important factor of connection of, of mm-hmm. who are we as puzzle pieces and how do we fit into this picture? And there's different ideas of how that works versus like, I'm going to fight you until you're dead. Right. Yeah. I think that's such a, that what's, that's, that's what makes the sequel trilogy so great. It's more about identity than it is like a power. That's why I love it so much. And that's why other people hate it. So that's what- <laughs> Yep. It's because it actually forces people to think. <laughs> and some people don't like to think. They just want to watch action on screen. And that's, I mean, that's not valid. to disrespect those people. That's totally cool. Like, that's totally valid. Star Wars. But for you know, thinking about literature itself and, like, themes and, and just, like, a more deeper level understanding of Star Wars, like, that's, it's pretty powerful stuff that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I think when you're talking about identity itself, that's, that is the, the intersection of Kylo and Rey is a central dramatic question Absolutely. for those heroes. I would like to add another point into the heroine's journey within The Last Jedi. 
and that is the heroine urgently yearns to reconnect with the feminine, um, but cannot go back to her in initial liminal limited state or position. And ah. I read that as the end of the movie where she has reconnected with Finn uh, and Poe and whatever's left of the resistance. And they're on the Falcon at the end of that movie. And in some ways they are all completely defeated. There's only enough of them at this point to fit onto the Falcon. Um, Ray can't go back. She's too far into the story to, you know, go back to her position in Jakku to be a scavenger again. She is so much more within the story, but she does try and reconnect with that feminine in her relationship with Leia. Um, you know, they have a connection. There's the beacon that they have on each other the whole time, but also at the end there, she goes, you know, where do we, where do we go from here? What can we do with this? And Leia in her motherly nurturing way says, you know, we have everything that we need and we, you know, we'll be able to do this. And she consoles her. And so she's, she is acting to Ray as that feminine figure that she so desperately yearns for and, and desires. Yeah. Um, and I think Leia is a really great uh, person for that. And so I think in the transition, She's your final mentor. Yeah. I think in the transition from the last Jedi to the rise of Skywalker and in the time frame that we're getting there, Leia and connecting with that feminine again um, is really important. So yeah, let's let's roll right into the Rise of Skywalker. How do we build a rebellion from this? We have everything we need. So obviously Rise of Skywalker is not out yet. Unfortunately, I can't wait anymore, Sarah. I can't wait. Um, so there's, there's, we can only go as far as to, based on the trajectory of the typical hero and heroine's journey, we can really only predict what's going to happen. We don't know for sure, but we're going to, we're going to try to make sense of everything based on how we typically he see the hero and the heroine act in these final stages i mean but also i've seen the whole movie i know every plot point so everything yeah. you say from here on out is going to be fact yep thank you jeff at lucasfilm jeff um so yeah. sorry sorry for uh revealing your secret identity to us but we jeff has showed us the full film yeah so so while we Great, say jeff. it's all speculation that's just a lie um yep. we've seen the whole thing I have it downloaded on my computer. Yeah. Um, I watch it every day. I've cried a every time. We so. pay twenty dollars for Patreon. We'll send you a copy. Yeah, join One the Patreon. Time. I don't know. Um, you can also Venmo me specifically. Uh <laughs> that too. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm um, talking about the final few steps here in the hero's journey. I'm gonna kind of just briefly glance over them real quick because I'm not, I don't want to go into super detail on each of them just because it's all speculation. Um, so here how's the, how they're broken down. So we have the reward. This is the the elixir, the greater knowledge or insight that the hero gains. The, the, the calm before the storm. It's something that they can either earn or something that they can steal. So it's 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 
the culmination of all their journey thus far results in this specific item being obtained. So now the hero takes the road back, which is that 10th step. The road back is to the ordinary world from the special world. Uh, and, but their new view of the special world might make that road back difficult. The 11th step is the resurrection. Now this is the hero's most dangerous meeting with death. It's that final life or death ordeal uh, where that where they go back to the ordinary world like right before. It's almost like a cleansing where the hero is reborn with attributes of their ordinary self that they initially started with, but also adding in the lessons and insights uh, from the characters that they met and the experiences that they've had in the special world. And this can also be a physical ordeal or a, a final showdown between the shadow and the hero. Uh, and, and other lives may also be at stake. It's not just about the hero themselves. It's about the overarching ordinary world that they left originally, whatever their actions, uh, whatever the result of their actions in the special world could actually affect where they've come from. And then the final one is the return with the so-called elixir which is something that they can share with the land. The hero may show the benefit of the elixir to heal the ordinary world, both physically and emotionally, uh, and also accomplish tasks that they they previously in the ordinary world didn't think were possible. So there's a lot. Mm -hmm. I think when you look at these final steps of the hero's journey, the overarching theme is hero goes from ordinary world to special world. They learn a lot from the special world it's good for them to gain this new knowledge but it also is somewhat of a burden for them mm -hmm. so that when they return to the ordinary world there's like a new added responsibility for that person to like take what they've learned and apply it mm -hmm. pass on what you have learned as yoda would say um but it's also like they can't view the the ordinary world the same anymore it's like it's hard for them to live the way they used to live and the way i think of this is is the lord of the rings Spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen Lord of the Rings. Oh my gosh, you don't have to spoiler alert Lord of the Rings. I know, I feel <laughs> yeah. So it's like when Frodo, like Frodo returns to Bag Ends. But he does not what? The... What? He destroys the ring? What the um, fuck? Who Pardon. saw that coming? Oh my god. Um, but he returns to Bag End and you can see like he just isn't the same. Mm -hmm. And even Sam's like he kind of notices it and Frodo's like, you know, I still feel the weight of the ring. It, it's left a scar on me that I can't really ever get rid of. And it's why he ends up going into the West, sailing away to a more peaceful ending where like, he doesn't have to worry about that burden anymore. And he can just kind of, he can kind of just yeah. let go. So I think of that as thinking about the rise of Skywalker. I think however, however Ray's journey ends up wrapping up, She's going to eventually return to that ordinary world. Doesn't necessarily be, have to be Jakku, but it's going to be with some new knowledge and insight about herself, about her parents, and about the universe as a whole, answering all three of those central dramatic questions that we brought up earlier. She's mm. going to have the answers to all three of those, and she's not really going to... I think she's going to struggle a little bit with how to deal with that new knowledge. So um, what, what do you think on that, Sarah? I definitely think you hit on some good points about not being able to return to the ordinary world as it was before um, because she comes back with that new knowledge. And that definitely maps on to the heroine's journey as well, uh, albeit in a, a bit different of a way. 
Because again, as we talked about, the hero's journey is often more outwards, whereas the heroine's journey is often more inwards. Um, we see the last kind of couple of segments within the heroine's journey as the heroine healing the mother-daughter split. So reclaiming some of her initial values, skills, or attributes, but views them from a new perspective. And I would say that probably, you know, adequately describes Ray you know, a year after The Last Jedi. She understands all the skills that she's learned um, and can use all of the pieces of her in order to help attain her goal. Uh, then, um, I also, like, think that mother-daughter split is, like, very literal in the sense of, like, being cared for versus, like, being or caring for others. Um, so, you know talk about her as a leader versus her independently there as well uh the next one is uh heroin healing go ahead real quick yeah no that's the the mother daughter split so you see her going from caring for herself on jakku to now having the responsibility of caring for like the world as a or the galaxy at large because of what she's been through yeah we kind of see that within the trailer at least to how the voiceover is portrayed you know like a thousand generations live in you now this is your fight I mean, oh, that's... Oh, God. Yeah, that's yeah. so big, good. Big I love that you just brought that up. Big mood. But, like, also... Oh, that's my got gosh. The, like, the most Avatar The Last Airbender vibes ever. And, like, if you know Avatar The Last Airbender, you know there's only one Avatar at a time, and they have to master all four elements in order to, you know, be a good Avatar <laughs> and, uh, you know, maintain balance and peace within the, the nations. But... Uh, there is a sense of, you know, everything, the fate of the galaxy rests on her shoulders. And when she started her journey, when her parents left her, it was only about fending for herself and not, you know, having to care about others. She was in it for herself and maybe the, a couple of the people in Nima Outpost. But now having the fate of an entire galaxy on her hands, so many places she hasn't visited, she hasn't even been. She, This is a world that is still intangible to her um and so there's definitely a a big responsibility there the next piece of it is heroin healing the the wound masculine within heroin makes peace with the masculine approach to the world as it applies to herself and and that you know to me reads as uh reads as understanding that her masculine qualities um, her typically masculine qualities are valuable and also unique to her because it comes with her feminine uh, worldview uh, and having this responsibility that nobody else bears. Um, the last one is the hero integrating the masculine and feminine. So instead of uh, in the hero's journey where we see it, the special world, the ordinary world, and these things being external factors – the integrating in the masculine and feminine um, is just to face the world or future with a new understanding of herself and the world life. Heroine sees through binaries and can interact with a complex world that includes her, but is larger than a, her personal lifetime or geographical, cultural, uh, you know, existence. And oh boy, does that wow make me so happy about everything. Um, because like you said too that perfectly maps the hero's journey as well everything yeah. you just said yeah and and 
this heroine, the way that it's written in the heroine's journey and talking about seeing through these binaries and can interact with a complex world that includes her but is larger than her is just such an apt description of what the sequel trilogy means to me or how I read it. Um, because when we go back to the original trilogy and we see Luke defeating defeating Darth Vader, defeating the Empire, and it's good versus evil, um, what I think the Disney era has done such a wonderful job of is suggesting that the world is way more complex than, like, here is the bad and here is the good. It is we all have the dark and the light in us and we all get to choose on which ways we act, you know, uh, and which path we follow. And we can, we are not our worst moment and we are a sum of all our parts. And I just think if you look at, uh, the way that Kylo Ren has been portrayed, which is so opposite of how Darth Vader was portrayed. Um, Mm -hmm. he is, so complex and he has so many feelings. Obviously we talked about those feelings in the last episode when we talked about Kylo Ren, but um, Ray is the same way. She is both a, a hero, a, an icon, a legend, um, somebody who the world will thank, even if they don't know her name. Oh, that hurts. That's yeah. like some Jen Erso vibes right there. Yeah. But the world you includes know? her, but it's larger than her, you know? I mean, it's the same, oh, it's the same it's thing. So powerful. Um, and and she has the understanding that she can be herself as Ray or as Jin, um, be herself and do what she needs to do, but also that the things that she does have an impact on the world around her. Um, and, and you can also read the masculine and the feminine as like Kylo and Ray. So integrating the mm-hmm. masculine and feminine, um, we could tie that back to my favorite topic, redemption. Um, but yeah, I guess that's all speculation, but I do think that the journey so far, um, wow, that was a big supernatural reference. Um, the journey so (laughs) far references itself to, or lends itself to going in this direction. So I have so many thoughts and I just can't get the thought out of my head of a dead Kylo and a ray that is left with all of this knowledge, all of these experiences, and the fact that she couldn't fully save Kylo, and just living in this ordinary world that hurts with this me. weight on her shoulders, that f- hurts. Excuse my happen. language. It's not gonna happen. But I'm like, no, at canceled. the same time, I'm like, how no does way. that happily, how does that happily wrap up the Skywalker saga? Does it happily wrap it up with the fact that it's like, even though she experienced this hardship, like, the world is better because of it and the world is better because of like possibly some sort of sacrifice that Kylo makes that redeems the Skywalkers and makes them rise. And Ray fits into that to carry on the Skywalker legend. See, I don't think you need to have to die in order to, you know, allow the Skywalkers to rise. And that's why I think that if you read the masculine and the feminine as um, Kylo and Ray respectively, they both have to live in in that mm-hmm. reading of of the journey because they both have to exist ray specifically but she loops kylo into that as the co-protagonist or the antagonist or however you want to see them um but she she loops him into that as 
this complex figure who is is not just you know a hero but a hero with flaws or a hero um who has doubts herself or a hero that uh, yeah you know, doesn't always make the right choice. And that can be applied, I think, to Kylo as well. Yeah. Well, um, you know, Sarah, I think, I think we did a pretty good, pretty good job. I hope so. Uh, we actually, we actually made a Google doc for this one. We notes. wrote an outline and we actually recorded more, which is like, you know what? Yeah. It's going to be an awesome podcast. Go, I don't care team. that it's almost hitting two hours um <laughs> this is this is an awesome episode i think we went over a ton analyzing the hero and the heroine journey and i think this is truly ray's trilogy i think even though kylo is the central skywalker figure ray represents just so much and she is seeing the skywalker experience through her own lens mm-hmm. and her own hero's journey and it's just so Oh my god, it's just like retrospectively and I can't wait to like watch The Rise of Skywalker and then do a super analysis on like the whole sequel trilogy just to see like the direction of it, but it's it's just so brilliant. And if it weren't for Rey, I don't think I'd have as great of an appreciation for this trilogy as I do mm-hmm. um with just like a character like Kylo or like another like du- like male character like we got in the prequel and the original trilogy. Yeah, if if I may, I Ray has already made such a, a deep and profound impact, I think, on fandom, I think, on just the casual moviegoer uh, at large, because she is someone who is complex and comes from nowhere and, you know, um, has all this power within her and is, is strong and is caring. Uh, and, and, and Sophie Muter, who, uh, is a violinist and, uh, who John William is writing a bunch of, um, of his arrangements for her and her violin. Uh, she says on Ray's theme, and I think this is just like a really great encapsulation of her character, playful and innocent, but also strong. And I think that's such a good representation. Um, for every person, not just little girls, not just, you know, adults, but everybody, uh, you can be all things and you can be strong, uh, and you can also embrace childlike innocence or, you know, masculinity or femininity. You can be a complex person and not just mm-hmm. be one thing. And you see that within her theme too, uh, yeah. as a lot of different pieces there. Um, but yeah, anyway, the real life impacts of Ray, I think are already, so tangible you see it whenever ray takes a little girl's hand at galaxy's edge and i weep um rip i rip my emotions i can't Um, stop posting these photos i can't cry please post them i need (laughs) i've exhausted the tears um but oh it's so good it there's there's so much good that i think ray has brought to the fandom and brought to me personally and you were just talking brought to you personally and so i think she's just a wildly, wildly important and valuable character in this franchise. And I'm so thankful that um, the Disney era has allowed for the complexity of character um, and the depth of character to be explored in such a way uh, on screen. So, yeah. Okay, I, I'm off the soapbox. I resonate, I resonate everything you just said. 
And I think when we look back at the sequel trilogy, the way we look back at the original trilogy, Daisy Ridley is going to have such a profound impact on our culture. Mm-hmm. And she's going to be close, so closely aligned with Star Wars, which is why I think, you know, she could be brought back at some point mm-hmm. um, down the line to continue Ray's story because she's such a powerful character and she is doing such great things. And like you said, every time I see one of those pictures of a little girl holding Ray's hand at Galaxy Edge, like that tells you all you need to know about this character. Like little little girls especially like can grow up and see somebody that they identify with on screen and some sort of hero's journey that they can they can align themselves with. Mm-hmm. And and Daisy Ridley is just such a profoundly like brilliant actor to to portray that character. And John Williams's score to bring that out of a character just in music. It's just so beautiful. And I told you before we got on the podcast that I had listened to Ray's theme to get in the zone for Ray. It just builds up in this like really powerful sense of discovery. Like she started out searching and then she ends up finding and she finds herself. And I think that is what we're going to see with the character of Ray throughout the sequel trilogy when we look back at it and... Daisy Ridley, thank you so much for um, for bringing this character to life and just giving us something new, something fresh to rally around as a fandom. And your impact will be felt for the entirety of Star Wars, the way that we look back on the original trilogy and that we look back on Star Wars 40 years ago. So, um, so hopefully you all really enjoyed our conversation about Rey. I, for one, had a super great time talking about her especially just after kylo ren episode last week if you haven't already checked that out make sure to go uh, look at it wherever you might listen whether it's google podcasts or spotify or itunes let us know what you think about it i think these are two great episodes to listen to right one after the other and with that we will now head into the q a session to close out this episode we lost something not to worry, we are still flying half a ship. Ah, yeah. So, our first question, uh, if I can get the Google Doc to load, um, in case those of you uh, behind the scenes will give you a look. We've had very, very difficult times tonight recurring this episode. so hard. <laughs> it's been so hard. Things just aren't loading. Garage bands just crashing. Things don't, things don't want us uh, to, to make this brilliant episode. Uh, but we're sticking through it. We're bringing you the goods. Uh, we're going to keep at it. And so also, our first... A, a glimpse behind the scenes in this Google Doc. It says Q&A segment. And then Brad has input a ridiculous photo of Daisy Ridley. Thanks for yeah. coming to my TED Talk. That's all I have to say. It's absurd. That's the tea. Our first question comes from Joseph Solano at Dr. Ragnarok. He asks... This seems like a loaded question, discussion. I would like to hear discussion about how Ray will influence and impact people long after the trilogy is over. So I think we kind of touched on this a little bit, Sarah. Mm-hmm. I definitely will still want to hear your thoughts on it. But in terms of Ray's influence, impact on people, I don't know if Joseph is necessarily asking people within the Star Wars universe or outside of it. I think within the Star Wars universe, I think just touching on the hero's journey itself, she's going to bring back that knowledge that can make certain things in the um, ordinary world possible. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I, th- and I think also, I- I'm a firm believer that maybe the rise of Skywalker could end with a princess bride esque ending where Ray is possibly, um, teaching the next generation of Jedi, the story of the Skywalkers, where she is maybe literally reading from a text, filling in those books that she got from Luke on Octo. I don't know if it's going to happen, but when you really think about all nine movies wrapping up, it's like, how do you self-contain the Rise of Skywalker, but then also like connect it to all of everything? So I feel like it has to be some sort of like encapsulating moment. So that's what I think of. But outside of the the story, I think we just really touched on it. Just she's going to have a profound impact on everybody, the whole fandom. Um, and she she just represents such a unique character in the franchise yeah uh and in expanding on that a little bit uh and i know i did touch on it just earlier but i do think that the next generation of star wars fans um we're gonna see an even larger presence of women than we already have um i think that ray has been such a wonderful ambassador uh, for Star Wars uh, in order to bring new people, new fans into the fandom. Um, and I'll be real with you, and this is not a dig to any person, any man, but like the women in this fandom are just wildly smart and intellectual and are always bringing such incredible discussion uh, and literary analysis and all of these pieces into fandom. So I can't wait for... Um, a new generation of young women and girls uh, to to take up this fandom and um, to shape the discussion um, to what they want to want to see. Yeah. So many little rays at celebration made my heart so happy. I love it. (laughs) And if you haven't checked out our recent certain point of view episode with my friend Lisa, she actually brought up, why she likes Ray so much. And she talked about how she feels like Ray really turned star Wars from a boys club, uh, into an everybody club. So it, it's more, it's, it, it felt more inclusive for people who might've not been into star Wars before to really latch onto it and identify with somebody on screen. Uh, so Joseph, I think that's the impact that she's going to have. She's just, she's helped to broaden the fandom, not just to a certain segment of people, but to now like a, a larger audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, Living Force Pod asks us, obviously, Ray has had a huge impact on the world of Star Wars since her introduction. In that respect, what do you think Ray has done for Star Wars that nobody has done before her? Sarah, do you want to kick this one off? Ray has done for Star Wars that nobody has done before her. I feel like whatever answer I give, um, it's going to be wrong. But, uh, and I haven't, you know, I haven't read or watched every single piece of Star Wars media. So, uh, again, it's the wrong answer no matter what I say. But I do think that Ray has uniquely experienced. Um, man, I don't know if he's talking about outward or within the universe. But I think Ray is. I would say outward for this because done for Star Wars. I guess, Probably. yeah, Ray has had a really unique experience of connecting with um, the antagonist or the other half or the the yin-yang mm. kind of dynamic in a way that yeah. I don't think we've seen in Star Wars before. 
uh, again, talking about the complexity, it's not just black or white. Uh, there's a really deep connection between Ray and Kylo. And I think that's really beautiful in, in the sense that, you know, not everybody's all good or all bad. And there's a lot of emotions and, and things that contribute to the ways that people act uh, up or act out. Um, somebody, somebody actually beat me to the punch earlier punchline. Um, but I do think Ray represents, and I, I hope JJ continues this into the rise of Skywalker and doesn't retcon everything, but uh. I feel like she represents the first person in the star Wars universe. That has been a focal point of being like, this person doesn't have to come from anybody. She can turn from no one into a person. So like, that's what we see from the first force awakens story. She goes like, I'm no one. And now at the end of the last Jedi, she's like, I'm Ray. And then Poe's mm-hmm. like, I know, you know? So it's just like, it's such a symbolic. It's just like, you don't have, you don't like in order to make an impact, you don't have to come from like a really important family and for Ray to just go from nobody to resistance hero is just such a good message, I think, for any sort of hero mm-hmm. story. To say, like, you can go from zero to hero. Hashtag Hercules. Like, Amen. Let's do it. Uh, yes. Amen. Oh my god. Zero <laughs> to hero in no time flat. Zero to hero. Right. Just like that. Thank you. <laughs> At Eric Eilerson from Living Force Pod, he also asked... What was it about Ray that first made you fall in love with her? For me, it was quite honestly the second we saw her ma- mask and her theme play in The Force Awakens. I was instantly sucked into her story, and I haven't left since. Uh, for me, I would say I think every Star Wars fan probably feels the same as you, Eric. That was a very, just with the race theme like we spoke about, and the cinematography of her in that Star Destroyer was just so mysterious and powerful. For me, what really resonated is when she, um, when she put on the Rebel Alliance helmet, and then we got that uh, wide shot of the Adat with her sitting at the bottom of it, because we we didn't really know like what she was living in at first, and then we got that wide shot. We're like, oh shit! Like that's what she's that's what her home is. It's just like a wrecked Adat, and so for me, I think that's when I really fell in love with the character because I was like, this person's really had nothing but they've gotten along this whole way somehow and i think that's just so inspiring and so motivating to say like you know you don't have to come from an inner rim or a core world planet in star wars to like get by like you can still get by on some like outer rim unknown region planet and like become the hero in a story and like we knew that was coming obviously with her Mm -hmm. and it was just like watching her conditions of what she's been through is just kind of like kind of tugged your heartstrings a little bit. So that, that for me was when I fell in love with her, Sarah, what about you? It's really interesting. Um, because like for me in my life, there are certain points that I remember very distinctly whenever it comes to star Wars. And this is not one of them. And I think part of it is because I was in a completely other fandom like that I was spending a lot of energy in at that time. And so this wasn't something that I was talking about as often or, um, you know, like thinking about as actively. So I'm going to go with the, um, a moment in TLJ, um, that I, I love a lot. Um, 
I mean, I love that whole movie a lot. Let's be real. But um, I think a moment for me where I fell in love with her is when she is not, like, giving up on Kylo and fights for him and fights with him. Uh, The throne room scene, and she just displays so much power in her fight fighting um and i love that and get really enthusiastic about that scene whenever i see it so that's definitely a moment for me maybe not the moment but um a moment for me where uh i was like yeah ray is the bomb and i love her when she flips that lightsaber around and does that warrior cry oh my god yeah yeah so good yeah amazing like, give me that gif and serve it to me every morning for breakfast and I will eat it up for the rest of my life. Like, that is just so good. Yes. And our last question comes from at Girls W Sabres, Girls with Sabres podcast. They asked, other than Kylo slash Ben, what will Ray's inner conflict be in episode nine? So I think we touched on this a little bit. Hmm. I think we, just to recap, we, we addressed the three central dramatic questions which is who am i uh who are my parents slash why was i left alone and um what was the galaxy like outside of jakku like what's the what's the universe like um so i think with ray or daisy ridley saying you know we're gonna find out the dealio with ray's parentage i don't think we're gonna like have some sort of bombshell in episode nine like oh my god unkar plots her dad Like, I just think it's going to be as simple as, like, this is why I was left, and I'm going to continue to battle with Kylo telling me that my parents are nobody, and that's going to be, like, a really big conflict for me to think, like, you know, I come from nothing. How do I deal with that as a hero? Like, just because I come from nothing, can I still be somebody important? Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot lot of something, like, that's very relatable to what people just experience in life in general. It's like, if you come from nothing— and you work your way up. Like, do you still feel important within the larger world? And I think that's why Ray, I think, is going to have such an impactful story at this whole trilogy is because she she identifies with that pretty closely. So I think that'll be her inner conflict is how do I go from, again, zero to hero? Like, how, how does that happen? Hmm. I, I want to add to that and think that or and suggest that I also think that something that might raise or will be in our conflict for her is the, you know, meandering roads of what is my destiny versus what is my journey slash who am I? Um, because what is my destiny and what is my journey may not be the same thing all the time. Uh, you know, her destiny is to, whatever it be, kill Kylo or end Palpatine or kill the Empire or Sith or First Order or restore balance or, you know, any of these very big and broad pieces down to the specific entities like Kylo or Palpatine um, versus her own journey of who are my parents, who am I? And so I think the 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 conflict between the, the personal and and the, um, oh, if I may get, if I may bring my poli sci women's and gender studies into this, but like 
the personal versus the political or the personal versus the spiritual um, or universal. Uh, just these ideas that commitment to a life of activism or a commitment to a life of, uh, you know, heroics, superhero, God mm-hmm. status, essentially, can sometimes conflict with personal wants, desires, and needs. Um, yeah. In in order to have the greater good, quote unquote. So I think that will be a source of conflict for her. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you all who sent in questions. Uh, we always love, I, I love answering these kinds of things. And um, we, we really do appreciate you, you making this a little bit more interactive. So hopefully you all really enjoyed the episode today. It was a, a lot of fun despite the multiple technical difficulties but uh uh, sarah where can uh, people find you on twitter the people can find me at instagram and twitter at seh221 that is like sherlock holmes 221b baker street except with an e in the middle and it doesn't have anything to do with sherlock holmes um that's where i live on the internet Perfect. And Sarah also runs Star Wars The Last Fan Group, which is on Facebook. It's a Star Wars fan group that promotes positivity in fandom. It's meant to be a sort of safe haven where you can go and comments and posts, uh, you know, whatever your heart desires, as long as it fits within their group guidelines. So go check out that. We certainly try. Yeah. <laughs> so go check out that group. Uh, it's a fun place. They got about 30,000 members almost. So um, join them if you haven't already. So Sarah, thank you again for coming on the podcast today. Love having you on. We have some great discussions. And for all of you listening, make sure to go follow Friends of Force on Twitter. It's very important that we get some more followers. We're only about 74 followers away from 200, which will be a pretty big monument. So I'm hoping to cross that by the end of july and you can find me on twitter at brad underscore whipple uh your host for friends of the force and again thank you all for listening until next time we are all one with the force we are all friends of the force and may the force be with you